Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Monday, January 31st, we're studying Luke chapter 6, verses 1 to 11. The conflict between the Pharisees and Jesus escalates with questions surrounding the proper observance of the Sabbath. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor David Boisclair. Pastor Boisclair serves at Bethesda and Faith Lutheran Churches in North St. Louis County, Missouri. Pastor Boisclair, welcome back to Sharper Iron. Well, it's good to be here, ready to sharpen my iron. <laughs> Let's do this, Pastor Boisclair. So we're, we're in Luke 6. We're beginning the chapter today. What should we know about Luke, his gospel, what he's been telling us context-wise going into this text? Well, uh, the context is in the prior chapter as well, where where um, uh, they uh, object. Uh, they don't they have the thing about fasting, or or there might be the 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 thing. Oh no, no, it's the healing of the paralytic, and and uh, you know they they uh, of course. Uh, you know, think badly of our Lord because he pronounces absolution on the paralytic before he heals him. And then, uh, you know, it's kind of interesting. I, I don't believe in that particular case where the he tells the uh, paralytic, he, he tells him to take up his bed and go home. But that in that uh, is not the, during the Sabbath. That, of course, uh, we have in John 5, where Jesus heals the man that was uh, at the pool of Bethesda. Uh, uh, for 38 years, and then he, and that was that was a Sabbath that he told uh, that gentleman to take his bed home. Then, then they have uh, G- Jesus, of course, calls a Levi Matthew or Matthew Levi uh, to be his disciple, the uh, tax gatherer. And uh, you know, he Jesus, of course, uh, dines with uh, uh, Matthew and his other his other tax gatherers, and then they're, they're, they that's sort of a an offensive thing for a rabbi or any any teacher of Israel to do, and then here we have, of course, uh, more as as you pointed out, you know the the um, conflict becomes even hotter. Yeah, I mean, I think as I look at where Luke has taken us, that's what we're seeing here is this just growing conflict between Jesus and the Pharisees, which we talked a little bit about this in the previous text, really mirrors what we saw in Nazareth, in Jesus' opening sermon there at the synagogue in Nazareth. You know, on the one hand, he, he preaches this text from Isaiah 61, says this has been fulfilled, but his reception has been rejection there. And now we're seeing that on a larger scale and in a wider scale with the Pharisees, where their opposition to Jesus does stand in contrast to his reception, his welcome reception, faithful reception by some of his disciples. And we saw at the beginning of Luke 5, you mentioned Levi, the paralytic who comes to Jesus in faith. And so we we keep seeing this kind of back and forth. On the one hand, the, the faithful reception of some, often unexpected people, and then on the other hand, the rejection that continues just to grow 
by these these Pharisees. Just Pastor Boisclair, as a reminder, you know, these Pharisees, what what's their problem? I mean, they're they're the ones reading the scriptures. Why why don't they like Jesus? Well, well, obviously, uh, he he doesn't teach as they do. He teaches with authority, as we well, of course we find that from Matthew's gospel at the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, he has perhaps a different understanding of the Sabbath. But it's interesting, he understands what their teaching on the Sabbath is. And, and, and you know, it, it sounds as if, uh, you know, in some of the, um, uh, you know, traditions connected with the Sabbath, that uh, the Pharisees or any other uh, person that wants to be observant uh, might have instituted some traditions in order to see what they can get away with. Uh, you know, for instance, they have the principle of a Sabbath day's journey uh, uh, from one place to another. Well, they can kind of get around that because they'll, they maybe take enough uh, articles of clothing from them. And, and so they uh, make a, on the Sabbath day, they want to maybe travel, uh, you know, quite a distance that's farther than what is permitted during a Sabbath day. So they take items of clothing and, and as they go, they, they reach the end of, of what the Sabbath day's journey and the extent is, and then they put an article of their clothing on the on the ground, and then that's that can be their home, so they can start over again, or even uh, like Jesus uh, at another time says, well, you you pull out your uh, your your donkey out of a out of a well on the Sabbath day, and 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 I think as as one brother pastor told me, it, it was kind of like this: the Pharisee was thinking, well, I'm putting on my belt to gird myself, so I I, I guess I put it on really long, and I go down the well with my belt and pull up my donkey. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's it's kind of like, what can we get away with? Uh, but the Sabbath was very, very important during this time because uh, it kind of played quite a factor during the Maccabean period where uh, the uh, Israelites were fighting um, Antiochus Epiphanes and, and the Syrians and so on. They would not fight on a Sabbath, and and of course when the the Syrians are, knew about this, they said, okay, we can slaughter them, and they and they succeeded in doing that at least on one occasion because they uh, would refrain from work on the Sabbath day, and it was believed by the Pharisees and by uh, the elders and so on that if all of God's people could keep one Sabbath, then uh, God would bring His kingdom into the world. So when, when, if anybody threatens that, then obviously they're not uh, very well liked. I appreciate the background information there, Pastor Boyce Claire, particularly you know the, the way that you described the attitude of the Pharisees. You know, what, what can we get away with? <laughs> Which I, I think ties in very nicely to the question that they're going to ask here, what is lawful or what is not lawful? And, and how their misunderstanding of the Sabbath, I mean, I think that we need to really understand that so that we can get what Jesus is saying, what the Sabbath really is about. So we've got we've got two two texts here. Verses one through five occur on one Sabbath, and then verses six through eleven say another Sabbath. But so we're related texts, even though they they happen on two different Sabbaths. Let's take them one at a time. So we're in Luke six, beginning at verse one. Now, on a Sabbath, while he was going through the grain fields, his disciples plucked and ate some heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands. But some of the Pharisees said, Why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? And Jesus answered them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry, he and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and took and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priests to eat, and also gave it to those with him? 
And he said to them, The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. That's the first part of our text. That's Luke 6, verses 1 to 5. Pastor Boyce Claire, maybe before we get too far into this text, you've given us some background information on the Sabbath and the way the Pharisees were approaching it. Just, I mean, give us more background information on the Sabbath, but from the Old Testament. What What is the Sabbath day as the Old Testament describes it? Well, it, uh, Shabbat, I believe, means rest. Um, it, it's one of the Ten Commandments. Um, in Exodus uh, 20, uh, it says, um, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And then verses 9 through 11 go, six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day, which would be for us is Saturday, is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. And then you have Deuteronomy 5, which is the second uh, recitation of the law, where it, it, it's for a different reason that you remember the Sabbath. And, then, and the Lord says, you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. And so, you know, and, and, and as, as um, you know, Arthur Just, who wrote the Concordia commentary on, on Luke, says that it's first it is like the pattern of creation. And so he says, like, it's like the pattern of redemption, which is the, uh, you know, saving of God's people from uh, bondage. Uh, Christ saves us from the bondage of sin is built on the pattern of creation. Uh, and um, so, so in other words, it's, it's one of the Ten Commandments. And how are we to look at that? Uh, you know, and then, of course, the Lord, uh, maybe because he has the authority uh, to, to um, you know, make changes, you might say, in, in, in among his people. Uh, you know, it's, it's uh, what I, I find so precious is when they're confronting him, when he healed the man who was uh, ill for 38 years and, and told him to carry his pallet home with him. Uh, Jesus, they said, you're not supposed to work on the Sabbath day. Well, Jesus says, my father is working and I'm working. And imagine what would happen if God was not preserving the universe. And, 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 and Je- so Je- Jesus is saying, well, uh, sorry, folks, I'm God. <laughs> so I, I, have, I have something to say about this. I, I think that, you know, the, I appreciate you bringing out both Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5, and the two reasons that are given there for the third commandment and its observance, that they, there are two reasons, you know, one, to recognize God as creator, and then also to recognize God as redeemer. And I think both of those are important because they do give a picture of the Sabbath that goes beyond the mechanical ceasing from work that really seems to be what the Pharisees have in mind for the Sabbath. If we don't cross this certain threshold of activity, then we've kept the Sabbath, whether as you're saying how far I've walked or you know, how long it takes me to the, the belt and the donkey, you know, all these very mechanical ways of thinking about it. And, and certainly physical rest is a gift to God from his people, but there's more going on there when you look at the third commandment. It's not just about a ceasing from a physical activity, but it is about recognizing who God is as both my creator 
and my Redeemer. And now that God has come in the flesh, and, and I think this is where the, the, and we'll look at this more when we get to it, but the miracle of, of Jesus that he does on the Sabbath, the one who comes to restore his creation and to redeem his creation, when he comes in the flesh, all of those you know, old ways of thinking about the Sabbath, you know, to go, Jesus just talked about putting uh, new wine into old wineskins and how that doesn't work. It, it seems that's right. what's going on with the Pharisees here. They're trying to put, or they think they should put the new wine of Jesus into the old wineskins of their Sabbath observances, and it's just not going to work that way. You know, what's interesting is Dr. Just, in his commentary, points out that in Genesis 1 through 2, uh, they there is no mention of there was evening and there was morning the seventh day. You know, it's just that uh, God rested on the seventh day, paused from his work of creation, and, and he sanctified the day. Uh, he points out that, you know, it's kind of like in the, um, you know, in Holy Week, uh, where where our Lord is is crucified uh, just before the beginning of the Sabbath. Then he, of course, rests in the tomb for the uh, parts of three days. And then you have the eighth day that comes, which is, uh, of course, Sunday. And, and that's sort of like, um, uh, you know, he points out that every all time becomes a Sabbath now for the believer. And that's and that's kind of which basically is a point where we can always cease from being busy with our worldly tasks and and occupy ourselves with what makes us holy. That is the word of God. Yeah, I think I mean that comment about the Sabbath for the believer that that ties into to the way the author of Hebrews speaks in in chapter four about the rest that Christians now enjoy. That is greater than the rest that he, he talks about the rest that Joshua gave the people of Israel when they entered in the promised land. There's a greater rest that is ours now, not because of Joshua from the Old Testament, but because of Jesus, who I mean his name is related to Joshua, the rest that he's given. Again, in, in his act of restoring creation and, and bringing this eighth day and, and the redemption that comes from it. So so this is, I mean, here we've, we've got this conflict between Jesus and the Pharisees. It centers first around, to get particularly into the text, this matter of the disciples going through grain field, plucking some heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands, and the Pharisees accuse them of doing what's not lawful on the Sabbath. Can, can you give us some, some insight into the, the particulars of this matter of, you know, I mean, that seems pretty simple just to grab some grain and, and rub it and eat it. Uh, again, why are the Pharisees making such a big deal out of what seems to be, in, in my estimation, a pretty little thing? Right. Uh, you know, the, the thing is, is they say, well, you're supposed to reap and winnow the, the grain, at, at, you know, on any other day of the week. You know, just like then, then as we'll see in the, in the later one about healing. But uh, so, so it's, it's, it's like um, they're, they're, just, they're just hungry. You know, and then, then, then of course, uh, Jesus introduces that other that other event as well. But uh, uh, it, 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 it you wonder whether the traditions uh, are are well are pleasing to God. Jesus oftentimes tells uh, the Pharisees that you make the word of God of none effect by your tradition, and also Jesus says the the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Now, uh, that that's kind of that kind of goes with when the Sabbath occurred in in the God's act of creation. He created humanity on the 6th day, 
And the Sabbath day is the seventh day. So guess what? The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Mm. So take us into how, how Jesus answers. You know, verse 2, why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? This is the quintessential question of the Pharisees. You know, what's lawful, what's not? And, and again, often in a very mechanical way. Jesus answers them, and I, I have to chuckle a little bit at the way he answers. Haven't you read? <laughs> because I mean, the Pharisees, I think, would have prided themselves in having read the scriptures and known the scriptures. And Jesus says, "Well, did you miss this part, guys?" But but what's what's the point that he makes, Pastor Boyce? Claire, what what's the what's the example he brings up from the Old Testament, and what's his point in bringing it up? Well, great King David, or at that time, of course, he was um, just just the uh, subject David under King Saul, uh, of course, was uh, running away from Saul, who was trying to, to um, kill him. And uh, his men were with him, and they came to uh, the city of Nob, where the, uh, the high priest, Ahimelech, uh, was there. And... Uh, you know, he, he, he basically says, uh, we're all hungry. But, but I mean, he, and maybe he misrepresented kind of a thing by saying we're on the king's business. You know, in a sense, the king was responsible for it because he chased him out of, uh, out, out of, um, uh, you know, where, where the, the, the royal city. And, uh, and, and so, uh, then, then Ahimelech says, well, there's nothing except the holy, the sacred showbread, uh, the bread of the presence. That is in the sanctuary, and and that's the only bread we have available here. And um, you know you can have some of that if if your uh, you know your companions have stayed away from women. Of course, that's kind of like for purity reasons. Um, but that according to the in, in the institution of uh, the showbread, it says that the priests were to eat, only the priests Aaron and his sons were to eat the showbread uh, in a holy place. It was replenished. There were like six loaves of showbread that were placed on a golden table in the in the sanctuary. In the temple of Solomon, there were ten tables, and they only used one table at a time. But on on one uh, on every Sabbath, they would uh, make twelve loaves of of pure bread and and put frankincense uh, with it or on it, uh, and it would be placed before the presence of God. And then uh, when, when they made new bread, then, then the priests could eat uh, the, and that, of course, is kind of like the way uh, the Lord instituted his sacrificial and uh, worship in ancient Israel, that uh, the priests of God would then be able to sustain themselves by uh, the different offerings. So, I mean, how, how then does that example apply to what, is Jesus saying, look, David did it, so it must be okay for the disciples to do it, or is there something more going on? What, what, how does this apply to the, the conversation he's having with the Pharisees? Well, uh, you know, in, in a way, you can kind of say this. It says that no one can eat this but the priests. So, uh, and of course, this is probably stretching it a little bit, but we as, all of us as spiritual priests by the blood of Christ are also, um, you know, eligible to eat the bread that is placed before his presence. Mm. But perhaps, you know, the thing is, is that you, you have human need. 
You know, in the case of David was hungry and his men were hungry. They might be starving to death and they, they wanted, needed something to eat. So uh, evidently the priest at that time thought it was okay to kind of, at least from maybe their perspective, stretch the rules, if it, you could consider it that, in order to uh, sustain life. Mm. I'm as as I'm talking with you, Pastor Boyce. I'm recalling a conversation I had earlier in in the Gospel of Luke uh, with with Doctor Adam Kuntz from the Fort Wayne Seminary, and we were we were talking about the cleansing of the leper from earlier in Luke, in Luke chapter five, and and Doctor Kuntz made the point that you know when Jesus cleanses the leper and touches him, he's not breaking the law per se because the the healing of a leper isn't really something that the law addresses. You know, the law teaches you how to how to identify a cleansed leper and how to identify one who's still unclean and, and all of these, you know, various various statutes for for doing these things. But there's nothing in the law about healing a leper. And so his his point there was that when Jesus touches this, he's he's not only fulfilling the law, but he's doing something that the law could never do. And I wonder if something similar is happening here when Jesus has this controversy about the Sabbath. That, that Jesus, yeah. in allowing his disciples to eat, and then what we're going to see him do in the next text, in healing a man on the Sabbath, he's doing something that the law just doesn't—the law's not there to do that. And, and Jesus has to come to do these things, because that—I mean, that's kind of the point, is that the law gave you, you know, here's what you can and can't do on the Sabbath. I mean, because there are things in the Old Testament about what you can and can't do on the Sabbath. But, but here Jesus is going beyond that. He's doing something that the law was never given to do, which is to, to show, as, as you said, the true purpose of the Sabbath, that it, it's given for men, for their rest, for you know, hearing the word of, of Jesus. I mean, I, I don't know. That, that's how I'm trying to connect some of these things here in the Gospel of Luke. I, I think that's an excellent way of looking at it, because obviously, um, you know, the, the Christ is, has fulfilled the law. Uh, now, now is is the time of the gospel, mm. and and um, you know he he is you know in the gospel God gives gifts uh, to his his children and to to humanity that turns to him in faith by the power of God's Holy Spirit, and so I, I think that's an excellent way of, of viewing that. The, the law cannot do that. Well, it's not lawful. Well, or or um, you know like anybody who. There are those who oppose our teaching that we are saved by God's grace alone. And they say, well, God cannot uh, justify somebody who's a sinner in the law. And, you know, it's, it, uh, you know some of our Catholic, Roman Catholic scholars have said that. Well, they're absolutely right. Uh, you know, they say that if, if God were to justify a sinner, uh, you know, um, in the, with, uh, he would be lying. And that's true for the law. The law always condemns us. Uh, yes, it is. It is a a legal fiction. You know, in other words, uh, you know, by the law, people cannot be justified before God. But an evangelical fact that God justifies the ungodly. <laughs> I like that. The, a legal fiction, but an evangelical fact: God justifies the ungodly. Or, or you know, to use the language that Jesus used when he called Levi. He came not for the righteous, but for sinners. And and here that is true again. So he, he concludes this little section with a, a pretty important statement. The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. And I, I think, again, that that's more than just Jesus saying, you know, I can do whatever I want on the Sabbath. But rather, again, that, that Jesus has come to fulfill the Sabbath and to do what the, the purpose of the Sabbath was all along. If you really want to understand the Sabbath— you have to get Jesus. 
Right. And, and if you look at Genesis, where the Sabbath was established, it is Yahweh, who is known as uh, Adonai, as the Lord. And anytime you hear uh, Jesus being said, you know, we, we believe in one God, the Father, uh, and we believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, you know, as in the creed, that we confess our faith in him. When, when we confess him to be Lord, we're confessing him to be Yahweh, who created the world and who also established the Sabbath. Now, Pastor Bushkler, with just a couple of minutes here before the break, as, as we wrap up this half of the, the reading, just, I mean, we've mentioned the third commandment, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. And it's it's mentioned twice in the Old Testament, in Exodus 20, Deuteronomy 5, as you said, and, and we still learn it and teach it in our catechism today. How, how should we understand our observance of that commandment, keeping the Sabbath? And maybe we can come to this question again at the end of the next half of the pericope. But I mean, what, is, what is this text have to say about what it means for us as Christians living on this side of, of Jesus' resurrection and ascension? How do we keep the third commandment in light of this text? Well, it says, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. How can we keep it holy? How can we be, uh, you know, occupied with things uh, making holy or sanctifying the time? Um, and, and it's only through the Word of God, as Luther says. The, the Word of God is the true holy thing. And in the medieval times, uh, they believed that uh, there were relics of, of the saints or Jesus uh, left over and that people were blessed by them. And, and Luther, of course, says, well, it isn't, it isn't uh, it, uh, you know, just human uh, understanding. It is the Word of God that makes things holy. So it is the true relic, the true holy thing is the Word of God. So how do we remember uh, the Sabbath day or any time that we uh, occupy ourselves in worship to God is by uh, being involved in the Word uh, that makes us holy. Right. I mean, Luther, you know, highlights that very much in his small catechism, that we should fear and love God so that we do not despise preaching and his Word, but hold it sacred and gladly hear and learn it. To, to hold on to the Sabbath day as holy is to set it aside for the hearing of God's Word. And maybe just to use the, the terminology here in Luke 6, it, it's to be with the Son of Man, to, to be where Jesus has promised to be. When we, are, when we are engaged in that activity, we are keeping the Sabbath day holy because we're with the Lord of the Sabbath, who is Jesus. So, so definitely some, some important things for us as Christians to, to consider here in this and what it means for us to observe the Sabbath day to receive that rest from our Lord Jesus Christ still today. We're going to pick up more of that on the other side of the break as we see Jesus on another Sabbath. You're listening to Sharper Iron here on KFUO. We're talking Luke 6 with Pastor David Boisclair. We'll be right back. Please stick around. Did you know that Lutherans are helping new American immigrants get settled? How about struggling church workers in need of support and refreshment? And we assist at-risk children and provide disaster response to hurricane victims. Through LCMS recognized service organizations, we are doing all this and more. I'm Rahema Kavuga of Lutheran Church Extension Fund, and I don't want you to miss out on hearing what your brothers and sisters in Christ are up to. Visit interesttime.org to see how your support gives life to these works of mercy and love. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Monday, January 31st. We're studying Luke chapter 6, verses 1 to 11 with Pastor David Boisclair. He serves at Bethesda and Faith Lutheran Churches in North St. Louis County, Missouri. 
Pastor Boyce Claire, prior to the break, we were looking at the first five verses of this text. Jesus says at the end of it, he is the Son of Man, is Lord of the Sabbath. We are talking about a little bit. What does that mean for our Christian observance of the third commandment? And one thing that, that sometimes comes up when I'm teaching the, the third commandment, whether to youth or adults here in Smithville, is, you know, the commandment says, remember the Sabbath day, which is the seventh day Saturday, and yet Christians typically worship on Sunday, the first day. How how does that, I mean, how did that happen? And, and what, is, what does this text have to say to that? Well, uh, as, as we see in this text, uh, our Lord is the one that fulfilled the law of God. He fulfilled the third commandment, uh, and he ushers in the Sabbath rest, uh, the salvation in him. And, um, and, and then, of course, you might say that he ushers in the eighth day, uh, you know, that maybe uh, latch on to what Dr. Uh, Arthur Just has said in his commentary is like um, uh, that their Easter Sunday is the eighth day that follows on the Sabbath day, you know, in, in, and um, in that particular sense, Jesus, uh, we have the freedom in Christ to choose the day and time that we will uh, occupy ourselves with worship and praise of our God and to hear his word. And so uh, the uh, maybe the decision to uh, celebrate, uh, you know, the worship of God on Sunday, which, of, co- of course, even in the New Testament is called the Lord's Day. And, and he's kind of put us in, in the habit of it because he appeared to his disciples after his resurrection on successive Sundays. So it's kind of getting them into the habit. So they gather together, and then he appear he he makes himself present among them, and that we celebrate uh, the sacrament of his supper on on Sunday. So it, it, it for us it's a monument of our freedom in Christ, who has fulfilled the law, even though we, uh, you know, at least legalistically it used to be considered in the Middle Ages as that the church had the power to change uh, the Sabbath day from Saturday to Sunday, which is certainly not the teaching of of the Word of God. It's it's uh, it, it it is a monument of Christian freedom. You know, as even that the Apostle Paul says, one one observes one day, one observes another day. You know, and 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 uh, as is understood, the Lord in bringing us to Himself sanctifies every moment of our lives, and so every day is every minute of our lives is a holy day. Hmm. I, I mean, the more I think about this, this this is a, a very good example of what Jesus had just gotten done saying at the the end of Luke chapter five about this matter of putting new wine into new wineskins, that this this strict. Uh, mechanical observance of it's got to be Saturday that just doesn't fit with what Jesus is bringing in the gospel. And, and so there there has to be this, you know, new wineskin. And, and part of that new wineskin is this freedom to worship. It be, the, the need to worship, the need to hear God's word still very much exists, and, and the Christian needs to do that. But in terms of does it have to be Saturday and and these particular rules about what you can and can't do, that's part of that old wineskin that just can't hold on to this new wine of Christ and his gospel. So, I mean, I think we, we're, there's, a, there's a good reason that Luke 6 follows Luke 5. We're, we're getting an example here of new wine being placed into new wineskins. And I, I think that that only continues with the, the rest of our text. Any more comments on verses 1 to 5, Pastor Boyce Claire, before we move on? I think I think we've really covered it very well, and I think that's exactly um, what what is in uh, what's in play here. That this is the gospel, 
you know, that we properly distinguish and recognize uh, the um, righteousness of faith and, and uh, the word of his grace that is the new wine that is placed in new wineskins. Mm. So we pick up the text again. We're in Luke 6, beginning now again at verse 6. On another Sabbath, he, Jesus, entered the synagogue and was teaching, and a man was there whose right hand was withered. And the scribes and the Pharisees watched him to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath, so that they might find a reason to accuse him. But he knew their thoughts, and he said to the man with the withered hand, Come and stand here. And he rose and stood there. And Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to destroy it? And after looking around at them all, he said to him, Stretch out your hand. And he did so, and his hand was restored. But they were filled with fury and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. That's the rest of our text for today. That's Luke 6, verses 6 to 11. Pastor Boyce Claire, just, just help us to, to see this scene. The first couple of verses, Luke's telling us the, the setting. Jesus is in a synagogue. He's teaching. Scribes and Pharisees are there. Help us to, to see this in our minds, what Luke, what Luke is describing. Um, well, in, in this particular case, obviously, uh, during in, in his ministry, uh, people were being healed uh, as, as a sign that he was God's Messiah. And, and, uh, and on another, there was another occasion where there was a woman that was, uh, you know, stooped down, probably had osteoporosis or something, and, 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 and she was in that condition for many, many years. And, and um, it, it was, it's sort of like uh, in, in doing this healing, uh, it, it's basically a, a sign, a divine sign that confirms his teaching. Uh, but but it's it's kind of like uh, it didn't seem like the man who had the withered hand was was there to get healed. I mean he was just he was just present uh, to worship the Lord and hear His word and hear Jesus teaching, and then and then of course and, and then of course it seems as if it, it's like a setup because the scribes and Pharisees are, are are very they're very observant of what Jesus is going to do because they had a problem with uh, you know on on other occasions where he. Uh, violated the Sabbath, and that was, I think that was one of the main accusations that they had against him mm. before, of course, uh, you know, his own confession that he was a Messiah. Yeah, I appreciate the, the details that you're bringing out, because there are some some things here that do stand out. You know, the, as you said, there's, there's not a, a specific indication in the text that the man who was there with the withered hand, that he had come specifically for healing— Rather, it seems he's just a part of this gathered congregation to hear the word of God, to hear from Jesus, but he's not necessarily expecting a healing or, or coming asking for a healing as, say, the, the paralytic who was brought to Jesus in Luke chapter 5 or the leper before him who comes and, and says, if you will, I can be clean. So it, it seems that the man's just there. And, and, and that is an interesting, I think, juxtaposition with the scribes and Pharisees who are there for a purpose. And, and they're not there to receive any kind of healing from Jesus, and they're they're not there to listen to him preach the word of God. They're there in order to try to to catch him. You know, I mean, it's like they they want to to set a trap for him. They want to find something wrong about him, and it it does I think go to show how quickly the situation has escalated with the Pharisees. We only met them 
back at, in chapter 5 when Jesus heals the paralytic. That's the first time Luke introduces the Pharisees. And now in one text after another, they're finding something that they don't like about Jesus. And, and this is really going to be a bit of a, a high point in that conflict for the time being, at least, that, that here they are looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. And, and I think uh, this is a, another just fascinating thing, is that Jesus now puts it to them. You know, he's been responding to their questions several times, and now he's really just taking it to them. And he reads their thoughts, and he says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go for it. So, so keep, keep pushing us forward into, into the scene. How does Jesus really bring this to the Pharisees to confront them in their unbelief? Well, it's it's rather interesting if you if you follow Jesus during Holy Week, of course, most especially as as one brother pastor pointed out uh, one time when when we had a Winkle you know circuit conference and he was preaching a sermon. It looks like Jesus is spoiling for a fight. Uh, you know he's he's not he he wants to confront them with the with uh, this uh, change and, and what's going on. You know, just like he tells John's disciples, you know, look at look at what you're look what's going on here. You know, you know, you want to know whether I I'm going to say that I'm the Messiah or not. Um, Look at look at the signs Um, in, in this particular case, because because this is so important. Because God's people and and we could say, you know, the Pharisees are and the scribes are people of of the Old Testament, uh, you know, God's people of the Old Testament. They they worship uh, the the one true God. Um, and, 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 and it's even for their own salvation that they're confronted by their God in the flesh. Yeah, I mean, I'm glad you brought up Holy Week, because one of the things I think you do see at Holy Week very clearly is that Jesus isn't, he's, he's the one in control. He's not being sort of pushed around by his enemies, but he's moving the pieces such that he winds up in his passion and his crucifixion at just the right time, just according to God's will. And I I think you see that here as well in the way that the conflict is going. It's not Jesus, you know, just sort of by coincidence, it, it happens to work out this way, but Jesus is already directing events such that he does end up at his passion, his death, his resurrection, just the way that God had intended all along. So I, I think you see that here already, even in the way that this this text is going to end. So Jesus knows their thoughts, and, and he's the one that invites this man with a withered hand to come up and, and stand there. And then Jesus asks the question, and I, I think this is, this is very masterful of our Lord, and it's, it's where we need to focus. He says, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to destroy it? He he takes their question from before, is it lawful? And he turns it back to them, which I, I mean, I love how Jesus does this, where, where he, you know, people are trying to set a trap and he just turns it on them. Help us to, what's, what's going on here with Jesus' question? What, how, what, what's he going, what's he doing? Well, I mean, as we talk about sins of commission and sins of omission, um, commission would be to do harm, uh, you know, to directly do harm to someone. A sin of omission would be a failure to uh, minister to someone who is in need. Uh, and, and so, in a sense, if, if Jesus, who is, is given authority to heal, uh, you know, well, of course, he has authority to heal because he is the son, God the Son. He, he is God and man in one person. Um, you know, if he would neglect to heal this man with a withered hand, you know, he would be doing harm on the Sabbath. 
Uh, you know, in, in other words, what, you know, he, he's kind of asking him, what do you think is going on here? You know, I mean, God is, you know, maybe perhaps they don't necessarily have to believe that Jesus is God. You know, maybe that's something that's not coming through there. But the fact that people are being healed is an action of God uh, healing, or God's uh, breaking into our time in history and, and, uh, and, and, and doing something blessed. Uh, something healthful, salutary to people. You know, uh, one of the, uh, one of the, I, I'm kind of from the age of uh, the 60s, and in 1965 they came out with a film called The Greatest Story Ever Told. And it's interesting how they, they, they do the uh, questioning of the man born blind, because that's, of course, what happens in, in John chapter 9. Uh, and there uh, they say, you know, one of the one of this chief priests and Pharisees asks the man born blind, do, do you consider that it's the evil one in him that uh, gave you sight? And the, and the man born blind says, why, after so many years of darkness, would the evil one want me to be able to see the goodness and beauty of God's world? And, 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 and so it, it's the wonder of God's miraculous uh, power and healing that is there, you know, and, and, and it's interesting that if you read um, Mark's parallel to this particular uh, account here in Luke, it says he looked around, uh, it mentions here that he looked around, but he looked around with, uh, in anger at their hardness of heart or, their, uh, or the way their attitudes were. Yeah, I mean, the, the attitude of the Pharisees here toward Jesus is just remarkable that this is the reaction that they've got to him. Just to, to Jesus' question, you know, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to destroy it? This is, a, I think, another one of those examples where Jesus is, is, has come to do what the law could not do. I don't, I don't know that you could go into the Old Testament and, say, quote a chapter or verse where God says, it is lawful on the Sabbath to do good, or it is lawful on the Sabbath to save life. I think there, there are some examples, and Jesus, you know, elsewhere in the, in the Gospels will talk about the, the matter of, you know, wouldn't, wouldn't you on a Sabbath, you know, save your donkey from a pit? Well, of course you would. But, but here, I, I think, again, you see Jesus bringing the fulfillment of the Old Testament, doing what the law wasn't intended to do, and showing the, the real purpose of it. And I, I think here we should, we should tie it to what you were saying earlier in, in Dr. Just's commentary about, you know, in, in Genesis 2, there's not this, there was evening and there was morning the seventh day, that, that the work of the, here, here you have God in the flesh doing his work of recreation, of restoring what our sin had broken. I mean, how, how appropriate is it that the God of all creation comes on the Sabbath day to recreate, to restore? It just seems so, so very fitting that this is what the Lord himself would choose to do on the Sabbath. What else would he be doing? other than this very ministry that he's come to do. And I mean, this just fits so well into Luke's narrative. When you go back to Luke chapter 4, in Jesus' inaugural sermon there in Nazareth, and he quotes from Isaiah 61, I mean, this is what Jesus is doing. He's, he's giving liberty to the captives. He's, he has come as the creator into his creation, and he's restoring it. What better thing could he be doing on the Sabbath? I mean, I, you know, without, before we get too much into the, the Pharisees and their reaction to Jesus. Just the, the wonder to watch Jesus doing this. Wow, what, what a marvel to see how our Lord has come to redeem, and he's doing it right here and there.
And, you know, it's, it's really important uh, that they knew, like uh, Nicodemus, they knew that this was the Messiah. You know, no one can do these signs unless God is with them. And see, that's kind of like the sin against the Holy Spirit. They were convicted in their hearts that this is the Messiah, and they, and they chose to reject it. And, 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 um, and, and you know, as, as the end of this particular text has, tells us, but, but I mean, they, they uh, you know, any, any person who is a man or woman of God that witnesses this going on will recognize that it is from God. And, 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 it, and the, the tragedy is, in their case, that they harden their hearts and they turn away. Yeah, I mean, that is a very tragic reality for the scribes and the Pharisees, not only in this text, but as the gospel continues, we're going to see this grow. And one of the things I, I think you see here in verse 11, as it's translated in the ESV, they were filled with fury and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. You know, from the other parallel accounts, we know that what they think about doing to Jesus at this point is killing him. But even in the way that, you know, Luke describes it, they were filled with fury, almost like a a madness. And I, I think one of the things you can see here is the the irrationality of unbelief, that it, it just doesn't make sense. I mean, you know, if, if you, at mm-hmm. least in, a, in my mind, the rational approach is, okay, here's Jesus teaching on the Sabbath. He speaks a word. This man's hand is healed. It makes sense that I think this guy is is up to good things. He's he's got something good to do, something good to say. I should listen more to him. I should believe him. I mean, all those positive responses would make sense. And yet the exact opposite is what comes out in the Pharisees. And just the you know, unbelief, this is my point. Unbelief doesn't make sense. And yet I think you see just how strong our sinful natures are that despite all the evidence that's there that you really should pay attention to this Jesus the total opposite is what happens from the Pharisees. It's tragic, and it shows just how strong our unbelief in our sin really is. Most most surely, and 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 like you said, it's irrational. Um, and 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 it's it's like you 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 want to you know you can see this in the world. There is such a a fury that's going on against uh, Christianity in the world. Uh, you know, though in fact, in people in in positions of authority um, are, are just simply attacking and persecuting Christians. And, and, and in, in a sense, this is kind of like the beginning of the persecution of God's people, where, as Jesus says, if they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. And, and um, you know, this, this, this is kind of shows how uh, there is a resistance, that there is that power of evil in the world, which is the devil and, and, um, and sinful natures and human beings that, that uh, just are, are, are at war with God. Mm. Yeah, I mean, the way that this text ends with the fury of the Pharisees and try, they're trying to figure out what they can do to Jesus because they very clearly see him as a threat— and it very much reminds me of what happened there in Nazareth, that Jesus had preached the good news. There was rejection. He preached a hard word there about where the gospel was going to go, and they're ready to kill him. Jesus then you know, goes through their midst. Here, I think something similar is happening, that you know, Jesus has, has the controversy's been stirred. He's preached the truth. He's being rejected. People are ready to kill him. But it's not yet time for him to go to his passion. And so he... He is not killed at this point, but you're starting to see 
where this is going. I mean, you know, if, if you're just following along with Luke, you, you've seen John the Baptist already put in prison, and now you've seen Jesus be rejected a couple times. The, the controversy is, is growing. You know where this is starting to go, where, where we're headed. And I, I mean, just I'm just trying to appreciate the the narrative of Luke here and how he's he's creating, you know, crafted this narrative under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to keep us reading and and to keep us focused on that journey that Jesus is taking, which is going to end with his death and his resurrection for the sake of us sinners. I, I just love when when uh, the uh, Pharisee actually the Pharisees come and say, you know, Herod intends to kill you, Herod Antipas, and Jesus says, uh, go and tell that fox. All that is written in the scriptures will be fulfilled. I'm going on my journey today and tomorrow, and on the third day I will reach my goal. For it cannot be that a prophet will perish anywhere but in Jerusalem. Right, and, and you're, you're seeing that already here, that again, Jesus knows where he's going, and he is purposely going there. And that, that's going to be a theme that we're going to see here as, as Luke continues. He's going to keep developing that theme. So, Pastor Boyce, we've got about five minutes here left, again, to, to reflect on, on this half of the text and, and what this means for us as, as Christians observing the Sabbath. You know, I mean, on the one hand, rest, physical rest, is certainly important. God has, I think, designed that into his creation, that we would rest physically. We, we know that we need rest. And yet again, we're, we're seeing here that for us as Christians, the observance of the Sabbath isn't just about a mechanical physical rest, but it really is about that coming to Jesus to receive his recreation, his renewal of, of us sinners in his image. Again, what is, what is this half of the text? How does this affect our observance, again, of the third commandment as Christians, putting that new wine into the new wineskins? Well, it, it it's obviously there's something for us as well, uh, we you know we hear hear the word as Jesus says that that uh, purifies us. The word that I have spoken to you makes you clean. Uh, that that we are that we are healed uh, spiritually by the gospel. That uh, we are there gathered around uh, the altar to receive His precious body and blood for the forgiveness of our sins. Um, in, in, in not to say that uh, we're, we're teaching that there will be physical healing with the reception of the Holy Communion, but it wasn't it uh, uh, Ignatius, uh, one of the apostolic fathers, the ones that followed the apostles, like in the sec- second century, who said that uh, the, um, the, the Lord's Supper is the medicine of immortality. Yeah. Um, and, and so, in other words, there's healing and there's forgiveness for us to receive uh, on, on the day that, that, we, that we bless God and that God blesses us. That's rather interesting that, um, that it, it isn't just a matter of just simply, uh, you know, being idle. Uh, you know, that's kind of why I've noticed, uh, like even in our culture, where they talk about uh, that it was uh, Dr. King's uh, day this uh, past uh, month, and they say, well, you shouldn't just simply, um, you know, stay at home and, and just vegetate. You should get out there and do something. <laughs> uh, so in, in a sense, uh, even about the Sabbath, uh, that God is active on the Sabbath, and uh, by his grace, we too are active uh, in a very special way to worship him, right? And and then look at look at what he does when when we do that. You know, we we go to worship, and yet 
it's really more about what he's going to do for us there. This is one of the things when, when I'm teaching the third commandment, I try to emphasize is that the third commandment is, is far less about what we do for God. And it's, it's far more about what he does for us. And, and this second half of our text, I think again, is a beautiful example of that here. Here came a man to hear the word of God. There's no indication in the text that he was expecting to be healed. And yet he was, we go to hear the word of God and we know what the Lord has promised, that, that he is going to be there with his life, with his forgiveness, his salvation. And that as we receive that now, you know, as you said, we don't necessarily expect that we're going to be healed physically there, but we do know that the, the gifts that we receive through the Holy Spirit now are a guarantee of the physical healing that will come on the day of resurrection. I mean, so that, that again, when, when we receive the third commandment in this way as a gift from God, what he's doing for us, Man, what a, what a powerful thing for us as Christians to hold on to. Pastor Boisco, we've got about two minutes. Help us wrap things up, see the good news in this part of Luke chapter 6. Well, uh, Luther in his uh, Ten Commandments hymn says, uh, for this particular commandment, the third, he says, Honor the day that God has blessed, that thou and all thy house may rest. Keep hand and heart from labor free, that God may so work in thee. Have mercy, Lord. And so I, I think that's something for us to remember how, precious the time of uh, gathering and, and not neglecting the gathering of ourselves together in God's house. Pastor David Boisclair is pastor at Bethesda and Faith Lutheran Churches in North St. Louis County, Missouri, helping us today with Luke chapter 6, verses 1 to 11. Pastor Boisclair, thanks for being our guest today. It's my pleasure. God be with all. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. If you have any questions about Luke chapter 6 or any of the gospel, according to St. Luke, please send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org. Use the open mic feature on the app to send a message to us. We love to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.